We are glad to have with us former county executive, Dr. Judy Lynch. And, and Dr. Lynch, you, uh, I'm going to call you Judy if that's okay. That's great. Please uh, do. Uh, and uh, you have been embedded in this historical um, deep dive of Erie's manufacturing for how long now? Well, I've been working on it for probably eight to 10 years. Wow. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm an expert. It just means that I have uh, kind of grazed the surface, that uh, I am immersed in some of the details, but uh, there's so much to know. Wow. And, and you're going to be uh, at a sold out event tomorrow night, Made in Erie, the creations and products that made Erie a success. Uh, Judith Lynch, PhD, seven o'clock out out at Fairview Historical Society, uh, but you can't get a ticket. So well, <laughs> we're, 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 we're kind of the overflow section here. Well, and, and, and the great thing about that too, Joel, is that uh, we, we did get word that uh, Pennsylvania Cable Network, uh, PCN, is going to be out there oh, uh, recording uh, Dr. Lynch's presentation uh, at the Fairview Area Historical Society. So that will be uh, available for uh, Pennsylvanians statewide to plug into that program. Always a great opportunity to get Jefferson programming uh, out to the rest of the state of Pennsylvania, and especially to be able to highlight this. Uh, Dr. Lynch has done some tremendous work. Uh, Judy, I know you say you only scratched the surface, but uh, you've taken a deep dive. You've really found a lot of great stuff about Erie County uh, throughout its uh, it, 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 its wonderful history and, and how we've always, in a way, been makers here in Erie County. Yeah, now, okay, here is my, and I have to welcome you, Ben Spiegan, uh, the program director at the Jefferson Educational Society downtown. Thanks for being on with us again, Ben. Yeah, thanks, uh, again, Joel. you, uh, you, you, you bring the, you bring it, you, you know, you bring the game here. I, I just love that. Um, uh, so here's here's my here's my take on this whole thing, and I, I mentioned in my first hour, Erie's not known to be like a raw materials type of manufacturing plant everybody used to confuse us with pittsburgh or youngstown as as you know like a steel mill city we were not never a steel mill city we were the advanced manufacturing city we made cool stuff from the steel from the uh, the iron the other you know the other ro- rolled materials and you know bars and things that came out of the the steel plants of pittsburgh is that an accurate statement or am i washed up Well, no, you're never washed up. You're always on target. And uh, Joel, one of the things is, is that we have been everything. Um, Truly something to be very proud about. Um, When you talk about raw materials, yes, there are some raw materials that were very instrumental in the early industrial, if you want to say, in the maker history uh, of Erie County. And that was a very poor raw material. That's bog iron. And you Mm -hmm. find bog iron along the bayfront. Uh, but the early settlers, and we're talking about people who came here uh, before the 1800s, and the early settlers had already um, experienced in Europe uh, the making of iron. And okay. so they found the bog iron, not the best iron in the world, okay, yeah. the bog iron, and they made the tools that they needed in order to survive. And um so that, that that was really the hunting gathering era, well, right? Well, no, or, no, a little okay. bit above the hunting <laughs> okay. gathering. Um, right. These were people who transferred skills, technical okay. skills that they had uh, ha- uh, in Europe, and they transferred gotcha. them to the new world. And so we should recognize this because right now we're fighting this war with China, and mm. they're saying they're borrowing from us. We have borrowed from the world, and particularly in this area. 
all the immigrants that have come here, I shouldn't say all, but many of the immigrants that came here brought skills and technology that was used in order to produce goods in Erie County. And I can't wait to hear those stories because, again, you hear bits and pieces of them, but uh, it would be great to understand that. All right. So let's let's go back to prior to 1800, you know, when, you know, uh, of course, you know, Washington is famous for telling the telling the French to get 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 out of Dodge, right? And they said, you know, forget it. Uh, tell the governor that uh, we're sticking, uh, staying. And we had the French and Indian War here. Um, uh, what were what were some of the maker things that we were? I guess we just had mills, right? I mean, I would imagine for the settlers that were in that really early stage. Mills were the first thing, probably, yeah. but also tools. In order to make the mills, in order to fabricate houses and things like that, you had to have tools. You could bring those with you, but, you know, how much can you carry on your back? All right? And the, there were really no roads. There were paths uh, made by elk uh, or mm. Indians. Mm-hmm. So it, the transportation uh, communication was zip. The transportation was uh, very difficult, to say the least. Uh, at any rate, um, these settlers came and they did. The first uh, probably edifices uh, of industrial importance that they built were the mills. And the mills did a whole lot of things. They cut the lumber uh, to make the houses, okay, uh, the shelter that they needed, but they also uh, were able to mill the grain uh, that provided uh, a substance that they could make a bread out of. And what this grain, it would not be a recognizable wheat that we would have today. Yeah. It would be much more primitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these settlers dealt with a very harsh environment. And, and let's get a handle on the geography here. Okay. Uh, the, the first settlements were at the foot of Mill Creek, which was kind of... Parade Street? Am I am I accurate on that? As um, far as the city goes, the first mill was at the bottom of Mill Creek. Was on Mill Creek. However, the first settlements were right here in Waterford. Right there, and in Waterford. how yeah. proud yeah. the people of Waterford should yeah. be mm-hmm. in the role that they have played in American history. There isn't any uh, more prominent uh, community in the whole country than Waterford because it made George Washington. Yeah, yeah, it sure did. And and again, the reason why Waterford was established was the the these the the French Creek, correct? Is uh, I would imagine. Yes, French Creek. Yeah. Um, French Creek, of course, uh, was the uh, transportation artery, right. um, and it was also the path through which people came, pushed into the area. So mm-hmm. whether you were going east or west, you came along French Creek, um, but uh, French Creek. Uh, also connected with the station road area all the way to the bayfront. And so uh, as the traffic on the Great Lakes developed, okay, uh, then ships brought goods to the bayfront uh, of Erie, and those goods then were shipped along this transportation route, this horrible kind of uh, slippery uh, road. Portage road, yeah. You can Mm. imagine it. All the way to French Creek. And again, it, yeah, and we have to kind of establish that 
manufacturing and, and the and the and the buildup of plants and things is has a direct correlation to the ability to to transfer the goods. So transportation, manufacturing go hand in hand. That's why the 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 feder- the, the interstate highway was such a, a boon to many towns. And when you mention the interstate highway, mm-hmm. and uh, when we have two of them, seventy nine and ninety, and yeah. where it comes together, that is the biggest commercial district in our whole county and probably in three counties that surround uh, Erie. We're talking to Dr. Judy Lynch. We're talking about Erie as a maker city. All right, so let's break into the 19th century here. Oh, wait a oh, second. Oh, 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 hold on. You, you want to talk about Washington a little bit or what? Oh, oh I'd love to talk about Washington. <laughs> he is my hero. Uh, but there's something else that uh, I would like to mention because we are in this area, uh, and that is the salt trade. The salt trade uh, was the most important of the early, the salt was the most important commercial uh, item in the early trading. And the salt was found in Salina, New York. I think everybody knows the yeah, story. Yeah, Morton and, Salt. Yeah. Right. Morton? <laughs> okay. All right. That's a <laughs> well, little I bit later. Knew, I, well, little but bit I always later, knew that that's right. where, they, where they dug the Morton Salt was up in Salina, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. And then, you know, they transported to Niagara and finally to the lake, and then ships would pick it up in barrels. Those barrels are very important. Uh-huh, okay. they yeah. pick it up in barrels and transport the barrels then to the bayfront of Erie, and then downstation wrote to Waterford, and Waterford had storage areas. So we all know about French Creek, which I love. There isn't a more beautiful, wonderful uh, creek. uh, It's a treasure. It is a total treasure, okay? Okay. So uh, French Creek, however, is not deep enough all year. And so there are times in which you cannot transport goods. And so Waterford had storage areas to store the salt. And the, store, the salt was conveyed in barrels. Now, I think you know the answer to this question. Where is the barrel capital of the world? Uh, Corey, right? No, no Union, Union City. City. I'm sorry. Yeah, All I right. knew. I was, uh, okay. One off. And so, again... <laughs> The transfer of technology. Yes, yeah. This is just... I was going to say, I knew I knew Union City was big in the oil barrels. I didn't realize oh, they no. were salt barrels as okay. well. Okay, yeah. initially the salt barrels were made someplace in New York. Yeah. They were brought uh, on ships, then to, to the uh, access, Bayfront access, mm-hmm. down Station Road. But, you know, you learn from others. Mm-hmm. And so this technology of making barrels was one that was picked up here. And why was it so important? Uh, so easily, I shouldn't say easily made, right. but Union City was the wood capital of the world Amazing. and this whole area. And they had the wood, they had the technology. And of course, you, you've already uh, got us to a- 1859 <laughs> right. and the, uh, the drilling of oil and all of that that happened. Yeah, and I can't wait till we talk about John D. Rockefeller. Go ahead, Ben. Oh. Well, it, 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 it's just <laughs> okay. so it's so interesting to see the the impact that salt has in the region in such a short period of time. Uh, one of the things that uh, folks attending the lecture uh, tomorrow night will get a, get a little bit of an insight to is that just within nine years, uh, in the barrels being transported, uh, you know, through Waterford, you know, in 1800 you go from 723 barrels a year. Uh, in 1809 you go up to 14,346. 
36 barrels that are making their way through there. And the total earnings for a transporter per year on those barrels were $42,000. And so to think of, of that economy happening in Erie's history and its past is an important thing that, that we just think can't be overlooked in terms of who we've been and the impact that we've had. And I think that's the excitement of let's not rush over the salt yeah, so quickly. Right, right. But it, it's just it's really fascinating to look back and then to think of the, the barrel technology and how that that evolves throughout the decades as well. And just the again, the importance of where Erie, Pennsylvania is located, Erie County, where it's located, and then being able to look at Union City and its production levels uh, back in the 1800s is just fascinating. All right. So, okay. okay. One of the things that Ben didn't mention was that our early entrepreneurs, the people that were able to aggregate rich richness, and they had wealth, okay? Mm -hmm. They got it from the salt trade. And these were people's names. Uh, I'll read the names because they're fairly well known in the Erie County area. Rufus Reed, Mm -hmm. uh, John Kelso, P.S. Hammett, Judah Colt, John Bell, and Giles Sanford. These were all the people that dealt in in salt, and they earned uh, literally thousands and thousands of dollars that would be worth millions today in the salt trade. But the salt trade only lasted about 20 years, and yeah. it was gone. Yeah. And that's something that Erie should understand, is that technology changes. And all of a sudden, they had discovered salt in the Pittsburgh area, and no longer was it important for them to ship down, ship salt down uh, French Creek to the Allegheny to the Ohio. Uh, they had their, they own, had their salt own salt in Pittsburgh. Well, and, and Joel, this uh, goes back to something you said earlier in, in terms of you know who we've been as makers, and, mm-hmm. and so we've always had these entrepreneurs in our in our yeah. county, these early entrepreneurs seeing something that happens in the 1800s, and then you know it it it's not going to last forever. Technology is going to change, and the world's going to change. So again, a short period of time that the salt is having a major effect in our region. But they moved on to other things. They were able to capitalize on that during the time, and then evolve those ideas. So it's what we like to do with. Dr. Lynch's work here in this program is to be able to look back and say, you know, there's a great entrepreneurial climate in Erie right now. There has been in the history. And it's fascinating to look at the entrepreneurs of the 1800s and then be able to take that into the 1900s and into the the 21st century today. And and to see the agility of the entrepreneurs of saying, you know what, I've got to pivot to the new technology. And again, uh, one of of the narratives that we fight against, not, not to kind of blow my 21st century cover here, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, one of the areas we try to push it, you know, that the good old days were not always that good, and that nothing lasts forever, and and perhaps, for example, the period, the post-war period where we were just booming like crazy, would have a necessary ending. The, the problem that we had, and, and again, I'm really, really showing my cards, the problem is that we had, that maybe we weren't as agile in 1977 as as these uh these founders of erie were in 1807 you know what i mean uh but uh, i don't yeah you don't have to go there unless you want to well um i'd uh, rather stay <laughs> yes, with the salt trade just to, just for a minute <laughs> okay yeah just and then we're going to take a break go ahead uh, because this person is a hero of all of us his yeah. name is daniel dobbins yeah, and we absolutely. all uh, all know him as the hero of the uh, War of 1812. Daniel Dobbins was involved in the salt trade, okay? Okay. Well, he found that there was a better way to do it, and that is he went out and got his own ship, 
his own boat. And he went to Selena and picked up the salt. And then he could have brought it back to Erie and taken it down the station road trail. But nope, he said, I can get a higher price in Michigan. And he took his salt to Michigan. Not every time, but many times if the price was better in Michigan. And so it just shows you, again, that people have to be very knowledgeable about what it what they're involved in and where the opportunities are and jump. Made in Erie, the creation and products that made Erie success out at the Fairview Historical Society. Okay, we're jumping into the 19th century. This is when Erie started cooking. And uh, from the salt trade, what did we go into next? Well, there's so many things we could talk about, but uh, I just want to talk about something that everybody's familiar with. And I am, I come, uh, I grew up in Meadville, came from this area. Uh, I know this product because my grandmother used it. I used it. My mother had it. And that's oil cloth, oil cloth. I'm not sure that everybody uh, in Erie County understands this. One of the first manufacturers of oil cloth was in the city of Erie. And that oil cloth had um, uh, a, a, a wonderful quality to it. Uh, it was something that we would all recognize. But one of the things that was uh, somewhat different is you didn't walk into a store or into a factory to, to buy it. What they had at the factory is that they had a group of buyers that would come in, buy up the oil cloth, and then it would be distributed nationwide. So oil cloth made in Erie County was going throughout the country, and it was providing all sorts of things, a beautiful tablecloth maybe, but also it could be put up. Uh, as a shield for cold weather in the windows. It could be used for uh, lots of things, even for clothing. So, um, And again, it's, it's, it's cloth, it's, it's cotton, inf- cotton cloth infused with linseed oil, correct? Absolutely. And, 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 and people would wear this or? Uh, they, <laughs> I mean, could. they could. Do really they clean with it? Or, uh, oh, it's like a raincoat. Okay, so rain it, it was a, it's waterproof. It's a waterproof yeah, that, uh, and, uh, entity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now you laugh at raincoats, but remember the Blair Processing, yeah. uh, oh which God. is the largest mm-hmm. uh, uh, employer still in Warren County. It's all started with raincoats. I can't help but think about that Seinfeld episode with <laughs> when, when Jerry's dad was trying to sell the raincoats. All right. Um, okay. okay. So, uh, you know, also, what's next? What, well, you know, again, I, there's, like talk- we really built our infrastructure in the yes. early 1800s. This was all pre-Civil War. We had yes. a significant infrastructure going. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would like to talk about one surprise that I encountered, and that is how government was involved. Um, we're very used to that, and we see grants coming the way of Erie County or, or other maybe agencies uh, to help develop certain type of industries. Well, there was an industry that, uh, was, uh, that the state of Pennsylvania was very interested in, and that was the silk industry. Hmm. Now... Okay. Nobody uh, kind of looks back and sees this because it was something that really never took off. But it is fascinating to see the government of Pennsylvania giving grants to the city of Erie 
to uh, uh, have orchards of mulberry trees, white mulberry trees. And the mulberry tree, of course, is what the silkworm feeds off of the leaf. And that is the only thing that it eats. Now, what had happened was, of course, there was a drug trade no. that uh, uh, we, we just say uh, individuals... Uh, had with China, okay? okay. Shipping off. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. All so right. they, so they were, they were selling. Okay. But the silk to China, or no? What the, they got for the drugs was the silk. Okay. But one of the things is, is the transfer of technology. Mm-hmm. How do you make silk? And so somebody who was very inventive or uh, uh, really wanted to create uh, a, a new industry here in. Uh, the United States, they brought the silkworm over to Philadelphia. The silkworm was actually shipped uh, to Erie area. And Erie, because of the peninsula, was one of the areas where mulberry trees grew naturally. And then the state government stepped in and gave the city a grant to establish orchards of mulberry trees in order to encourage the growth of the silk industry. Did it work? Well, it did for one woman, for one woman, Mm -hmm. okay? And this woman's name is Mrs. Chandler Munn, okay? Uh, And she lived at 12th and State Streets, and she used her home to uh, incubate the silkworms. And so they would be uh, in... Uh, the curtains <laughs> throughout the home, okay? Yeah. And she is considered, and this is very important, the, one of the first woman-owned operated businesses. Okay? All right. And All here right. we are. We're going to be celebrating uh, the, the... The women in history, right? The, well, women in history in the yeah. 19th Amendment. Ben Spiegan is the program director from the Jefferson Educational Society. Dr. Lynch is presenting um, Made in Erie County, almost everything tomorrow night at the Fairview Historical Society. You're, but you're, you're like, you know, you're like queen. You sell out the... Uh, no, no. Well, remember, there are only 30 spaces, so okay. this isn't exactly, you know, 3,000 spaces. Okay. And this is this is a great initiative for us at the Jefferson, Joel, is, is in, in 2019, we're looking to be able to take Jefferson programming away from uh, our home base. We're still going to do the same level and same amount of programming we do at 32nd and State, uh, but we know that transportation and geography can be barriers uh, to, to education in our county, and so we're we're really excited to have a partnership with the Fairview Area Historical Society and their leadership, um, uh, Mike Gallagher out there, as well as Sabina Freeman, working with those people uh, to help bring programming out to Fairview. We, we're just off the heels of a very successful program uh, down in Cory, Pennsylvania. We went to the Cory Higher Education Council. Uh, our president, Dr. Ferky Ferrati, presented down there on the rise and decline of the Chautauqua movement yeah. and uh, the impact of adult civic education in the 21st century. That was another sold out program for us. It's great because these are smaller venues and they allow for robust conversation. And of course, Dr. Lynch is one of our favorites. Uh, she was our, our founding chairwoman uh, at the Jefferson Educational Society. So she's been with the organization since its beginning. And uh, last year, we were we were proud to announce her as our Decadian Scholar. And uh, she's a scholar in residence with us right now at the Jefferson. And she's worked tirelessly on an amazing project to capture the history, the economic history of, of Erie County. Um, 
from his very beginning. She has a, what is it now, Judy, more than 600 page long book yeah, that you've been, wow. been continually working on. <laughs> and so all last year, we had the opportunity to unpack some of that at yeah. the Jefferson and continually drew great crowds to that. And we, we took it down downtown to uh, Celebrate Erie when we had programming during Celebrate Erie. It was well attended there. And so we knew this was an opportunity to take this out to Fairview. And, and actually, because of the extensive nature of the work that uh, Judy's done, we're able to look at something specific just to Fairview. So for those residents out there, they get a chance to plug into things that have been made in Erie County in their particular neck of the woods. And and, and uh, Mrs. Litch, I want I do want to. Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but at one of your sessions at the Jefferson, I was in attendance and I asked the question about the naysayers in in this community. And it's kind of the reason why I started my radio show is to kind of change the narrative because you look at you look at the totality of our history. And you look at the the innovation and the the smart thinking and the agility that come from these forefathers, and some of these forefathers are still with us. Yes, you know what I mean. The, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking Absolutely. about forefathers of the of the last 10, 20 years, and so uh, we have to gain perspective and optimism, but but clear eyed, understanding where our problems were, mm-hmm. and um, you, we we just talked about a problem off mic that I do want you to share about is why we didn't. I mean, how much, uh, how successful were we with the oil, the, the the founding of oil in Titusville? And then what happened to that? Because you don't see a, a ton of oil work happening uh, uh, even, you know, 10, 20, 30 years after the, you know, after oil mm-hmm. kind of moved on. Just to refresh everybody's mind, I'm sure that they know this information, but 1859, a very significant date, not only for the Titusville area, but for Erie County. And that was when uh, Drake successfully drilled oil uh, in Titusville. Now, what happened was that Erie, the city of Erie, was the closest area city Okay, and after they were successful, you know, the, uh, in doing that, uh, then the uh, opportunity for Erie just increased dramatically. Let me step back just for, for one bit. The, the derrick, everybody understands what a derrick is and its purpose. Uh, the derrick for Drake was made in Erie by Jarecki. Jarecki company. So we were involved just from the very beginning. And after the successful drilling, then much of the need for pumps and for derricks and for other uh, types of tools and barrels came from Erie County. Wow. Now, one of the other things that people don't realize is that once the oil is extracted, uh, then what do you do with it? It had to be refined. And we're not talking about oil being used for uh, purposes of heating and that sort of thing. This, the purpose of the oil at that time was to make kerosene and kerosene was used uh, for lighting so that the oil would have to go to a refinery. Well, Erie became the center of the refining of oil for the entire world. It had more refineries in the city of Erie than any other place in the world. But it didn't have the transportation system that was really uh, necessary in order to keep all of those refineries going. Yes, it had rail, but still there were problems with the mm. rail. And it did have the, the lake, but the oil was not transported uh, by the lake. Yeah, very little was put on a That's boat, right? right? There, there were wagons, but the, transport, the, the roads were uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so what happened in the oil country? 
okay, is they said, okay, we're going to build a pipeline from the oil country, uh, from the oil city, Titusville area, to Erie for refining purposes. Mm -hmm. And the people that own the refineries here said, what? How can you do that? That doesn't sound possible. No, we're not going to have a pipeline going all the way, that's just not reasonable. Uh, they missed the opportunity. Yeah. And within a short period of time, every refinery in Erie was closed. And the oil had actually been grabbed by Rockefeller. We yeah. all know the story. Right. And he owned it at its at point where it came out of the, the earth. And when it was transported uh, largely by train, and it was transported then to the city of Cleveland mm -hmm. and refined in the city of Cleveland. Yeah. Now, I want to tell you something that I just want to mention. And I had an uncle that worked for Standard Oil. Okay. Not that my family was very happy with Standard Oil. No, I had an uncle that was sent to Japan to find oil in Japan. Oh, wow. Right. Of course, we all know now that there is no oil in Japan. Right. <laughs> well, of course, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the, the fact that I, I love that Erie history has a way of sticking around in, in our culture today. And uh, Erie Brewing Company has a great beer called uh, Drake's Crude. And oh, it's an oatmeal right. stout that's uh, named after that. And, and so it's it's really, it's it's fun to see these little moments where history has a way of cropping back up. And that's cert it's certainly such an important part of our history here in Erie. Uh, 1859, certainly important for us. All right. So, um, you know, then we, then we very soon after the discovery of oil was the, the Civil War. And uh, many of our uh, our boys went, went away. We After the war... Um, you know, did we see an industrial revolution of any sorts? Well, let me just mention um, that historians now have gone back to look at the economy during uh, the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And I believe almost to a, 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 everybody uh, that has done that uh, to a person, they have come up with the, uh, uh, the uh, concept that that the economy did not grow during okay. the Civil War, that the Civil War was such a tremendous drain yeah. that there was no real economic growth that materialized as a result of the Civil War. But afterwards, um, there certainly was. Right. Uh, but Even with the panics and things, they, they were able to navigate through the financial uh, back and forth that seemed to happen mm -hmm. uh, about every, what, five to 10 years, it seemed like we had a, a recession or a depression, right? That's right. Absolutely. Um, so, all right. So when do we really kind of hit our stride? I mean, because we, I, I, and I have to do fast forward because we're down to our last 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, what, what is, uh, when do we hit our stride of, of being the kind of town that General Electric, that Thomas Edison would consider, and I know I'm really going fast ahead, okay, but we had to, we have to build a uh, build a foundation there. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what were we doing between uh, you know the 1870s and the 1910s that that just that were that were super important? Immigration, immigration, immigration. Oh, we had the we had the workforce. Yes, the workforce. We had where have we heard that before? Now we also had the location. Yeah, uh, because we know that we were located right in the center of the U.S. market. So and we had 
uh, excellent transportation system by that time. We not only had lake transportation, we had railroad transportation, uh, the Erie Extension Canal, mm -hmm. uh, but it had folded by the 1850s, okay? But um, by, uh, by the end of the oil period, there were railroads that had come into Cory, that had come into uh, the Crawford County area that had uh, connected uh, the whole area with the Philadelphia and the East Coast. So yeah. transportation was excellent. And so with the immigration, uh, it took off and we became the iron uh, capital. It's the boiler in the iron capital of uh yeah, we really jumped on the whole steam thing, steam engines, steam boilers. Um, That's right. Um, and but we didn't get into locomotives until GE, right? I mean, we did. Did we do steam locomotives? Uh, well, uh, we did steam engines, steam engines, steam okay. engines. And right. I think that's a very important thing. Mm -hmm. And steam engines were produced in the quarry area and they were produced in the Erie area. And so they became a very significant um, opportunity for uh, people who were running, still running the mills because yeah. you didn't have to be located on the stream. Right. You could move inward. You could have a greater freedom. And so steam engines were used to increase production in a variety uh, of different uh, areas. Did, did we, um, and again, I, I, I'm not a historian, so I'm trying to understand, what, were our engines utilized in the development of the assembly line, in, in the development of some of the stuff that was happening in Detroit and some of the areas, were, did they start that way? Or uh, Let me just go back uh, okay. to uh, the beginning of the century. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think if I say black, uh, the, the black manufacturing yes. company, everybody knows that that was the um, uh, beginning uh, of the bicycle. I mean, this is... Uh, uh, bicycle craze, and we were one of the first uh, mm. uh, large manufacturers of the bicycle. Okay, from the bicycle came the car. All you have to do is look very closely at right. the bicycle, mm -hmm. and you can see the car in the making. Mm -hmm. And the, one of the first cars, uh, the Hagenrader, was made here in, in Erie. Now, it didn't take off. It wasn't, uh, didn't become the Ford, uh, but it just shows you what the technology level was in the Erie area. Now, what did happen is you had a number of other industries that uh, were created. One was the Griswold Manufacturing Company. Everybody should have a piece of Griswold. <laughs> that's right. and, uh, if you can find one and pay for it. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And... Um, uh, but there is something that's more important than what they manufactured. It was Matthew Griswold Jr. All right. Okay. Now he went to Yale. All right. But there was another person that went to Yale. His name was Pratt. Okay. Now Pratt worked at Schenectady for the electric company, for the Edison Electric Company. And what was also happening as a result of the cars and the uh, the, the the bicycles and all of that, and the the electric was the uh, founding of electric motors, and it, it was another person who invented the electric motor. It was Pratt who was connected with the Edison. Gotcha. Okay. This is so we have a Pratt and we have a Spratt. Okay. It's two different people. One uh, created the electric motor that was used in the trolleys, and so we became a trolley capital here. Okay, and electric motors were used. And GE was producing the electric motors. Hey, it had no more space. It was in Schenectady, New mm -hmm. York. It was running out. And so it sent Mr. Pratt. 
It sent Mr. Pratt, who was the best friend of Matthew Griswold Jr., okay, along the lakefront to look for a place to establish a new GE plant. And this had to be a location that was right on the lake because that is how uh, transportation occurred. This is how raw materials got here. This was the best uh, location for any manufacturing plant. And he stopped to see, not, he wasn't going to Erie, but he just stopped to see Matthew Griswold, to go visit with his, his friend. friend. Yeah. And Matthew Griswold said, hey, I got you by the arm. <laughs> <laughs> let me okay, show you a plot of land in our, our little county. <laughs> right. Right. That's it. And yeah. so you have then um, General Electric eventually locating uh, in what we call Lawrence Park. And, and you know, if you if you ever read any of the newspaper articles, not everybody was on board oh, with no, allowing no. GE to come. Mill Creek was up in arms because that area wasn't Lawrence Park it at that Mill time. Creek, it was Mill Creek, yeah. and they did not want to have uh, this type of a plant that would kind of cr- create barriers within. Did you run across political issues as you're researching this manufacturing? Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we do have that reputation that Horace Greeley said it was one of the worst political towns he had ever yes. known. OK. And that was that came with the Gage War in yeah, the 1950s. Right. OK. But um, this was something that was all re- almost missed. And wow. that Griswold not only had to persuade Pratt, but, he, but the whole community had to get together and even with this adverse kind of publicity, the paper was very instrumental in bringing the people of the community together and saying, we want that GE plant here. Wow, boy. Echoes from the past. I know. I'm going to leave it right there because uh, I could get really <laughs> going on it. Okay. We, we're down to our last few minutes. So I want to, it's 4.49 now. We're talking to Dr. Judy Lynch. Uh, she's giving a presentation about uh, Erie as a maker city. Uh, ben, ben Springen from the uh, the uh, Jefferson Educational is here. All right. So let, so we, we GE comes and boy, our... our uh, our population booms because they just they just kind of were uh, a feeder for lots of other. Uh, well, that's true, but you see, the population was already here because yeah. in the 1880s and 90s we had this gigantic immigration mm-hmm. of uh, Polish and Italian largely coming into the area, and they would take jobs doing whatever was necessary in order to meet their needs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Talk about uh, you know, forward as we got ready for war here. Um, you, uh, you know, World War One. Uh, anything? Uh, were we uh, instrumental in that? I know we were definitely instrumental in World War Two. Uh, 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 certainly in World War Two, but um, we were humming along in World War One. But one of the things about World War Two, when I look at it and compare it to World War One is the immense force of the federal government. Mm-hmm. I lived through World War II. My father was in the Air Force, never fully understood how the government came in and controlled every aspect of the economy. Tell the story about the Lord CEO. Okay. and, and <laughs> I love this one. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> right. Lord Manufacturing had already been in existence. It was producing vibrators and uh, ways and uh, uh, ways to control vibration in airplanes. It was critical for the uh, war effort. And so, for whatever reason, the Navy, so this is one part of the Defense Force, the Navy didn't have a very good 
uh, feeling considering um, what the price was that they were paying. And so they felt that they were being taken advantage of. And so they stepped in and they took Mr. Lord in his chair from his desk, picked him up and put him in the parking lot. And they took over all of Lord Corporation. The MPs removed the CEO Abs- and the Navy took over Lord Corporation. Ca- carried him out in Lord his chair. <laughs> As he as he sat remaining in his chair, carried him out. I love that. Story. Oh my goodness! Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and something that else that you said when you were speaking at the Jefferson last year is that you didn't feel that really that the that the that the firms here in Erie made they it wasn't like a, a uh, you know a gold mine for them. They were getting paid pennies on the dollar for what they would normally get in the commercial market. That's right. Um, in my opinion, they were joining the war effort. Right. It was very pra- patriotic. It was something that everybody wanted to see the war come to a victorious conclusion. And there were and a lot were of Rosie of the Riveters here in, in Erie, yes, weren't sir, there? I absolutely. Mean, Women played their part. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and you still see that image now on the industrial corridor, uh, the corner of uh, 12th and Cherry. You see that proudly displayed of uh, the industrial corridor is still here and still alive, mm-hmm. still using that image of Rosie the Riveter. I, I love every time yeah. I drive mm-hmm. past it on 12th Street, still a very active corridor, even though it might not look like it is. Plenty of small manufacturing businesses, advanced industries still being housed in that region. Before I go any further, I got to ask you again, uh, urban legend or true, did Besiris Erie help build the... Um the Panama Canal or yes, the Suez Canal? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And um, in, in this, uh, you have my PowerPoint in front yeah. of you. But in this PowerPoint, you see the picture of Teddy Roosevelt on the crane. <laughs> and he is, and, well, you know his personality. Right. He was gung-ho for everything. The Rough Riders. Yes, oh he was gosh. a Rough Rider. But one of the things before we were, leave World War II, yeah. we should be so proud of the fact that Rogers Brothers is still here. Mm. And Rogers Brothers produced the vehicle on which Big Boy, uh, Big Boy was the atomic bomb, and it was carted onto the airstrip and into the airplane using a Rogers uh, Brothers uh, vehicle or trailer. Wow. Okay. We are down to our last three minutes, and I we've got to go post-war here and today because I want to hear your take on where we are as a as a community um uh so post-war uh dr lynch and again we're talking to judy lynch ben spiegan uh about uh, erie as a maker city um post-war uh, you know we've got all, all kinds of advanced manufacturing going on talk, talk a little bit about some of your highlights there okay one of the things i think that the community needs to understand that post-war we have turned into a service economy hmm. and that is where are most of the people of erie county employed they are employed in health care they are employed in education uh in insurance this is the largest part of our economy and that's also true of all the major cities of the united states Now, if you look at Crawford County, a little bit different, Warren County, a little bit different, they have a greater percentage, not in terms of numbers, but percentage of their workforce in manufacturing. For us, we have turned to the service economy, Hmm. not that we're not a very important manufacturer. Yes, we are. And uh, I think I end here uh, with one of the things... uh, that I found uh, that I thought was very important. It's an old, old name. It comes from the 19, early 1900s, Erie Fortune Steel. Yeah. Erie Fortune Steel. Um, and it is now owned by Wimco. It is part of our advanced industry, as you have mentioned. 
and it makes steel shafts. And these are just tremendously large wow. uh, units, steel units. And I have a picture of it uh, yeah. to show you uh, the size of it. Uh, but this is produced in the city of Erie. Doesn't Erie Press make the big presses as well? I mean, yes. like they, yes. they just there go on and on and on. They're Absolutely. so massive. Absolutely. I mean, just to be able to do, and, and again, uh, the point is well taken when when we're when we're hearing the current news mm-hmm. coverage about uh, about the new Wabtec plant. I mean, to build a locomotive. I'm sorry, this is like Boeing. You know, we're we're it's like it's 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 we're like having a a Boeing just with a bit older technology, but everything inside that locomotive is state of the art 21st century. Uh, you know, uh, eco sensitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't do that. You just can't pick up and start a new plant somewhere that would make a locomotive like that. It is really something that we need to be proud of, of the skilled labor that we have here. Yes, but there's something else we should recognize, that the components within that locomotive very often come from tool and die manufacturers, small Mm. companies that are throughout the area, and they are so critical to the uh, product that is finally produced, whether it's Westinghouse or General Electric. And, of course, all of us wish... Uh, Westinghouse well and the workers, you know, right. uh, well, and we want to see um, success. We want to see them do the things that they need to do in order to survive. Last two minutes. Um, where, where do you see, uh, because I mean, in Knowledge Park, for example, there's all kinds of advanced manufacturing going on, both, uh, uh, you know, hardware, software. I mean, the, the, uh, the economy of the, uh, the the Internet of Things, that's what uh, our new innovation district is supposed to be about. Do you see uh, uh, Erie being a high-tech uh, corridor? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that is an advantage to us are your universities that are here, and that would be Gannon, Mercyhurst, and mm-hmm. Penn State Barron, uh, even Allegheny to some extent, and Edinburgh. And Edinburgh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, these uh, institutions have the knowledge base that people need in order to join the 21st century. So we need it uh, and we're on our way. And I think we should feel very optimistic, but we should be ready to jump. And today is not like it was at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, Time is shortened. Opportunities are much shorter. Uh, We need to really understand where we are, what we want, and how to get it. We can't be like those uh, city fathers who didn't want the, uh, the oil pipeline back in the uh, 1860s, huh? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Judy Lynch, Ben Spiegel, thank you guys so much for being here. Again, tomorrow um, it's made in Erie. It's a sold-out program at the Fairview uh, Historical Society. When's that book coming out? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. We're going to get it out to people as quickly as we can. That's why we're doing these presentations now. Uh, we're so excited for this book. We're excited for Judy's presentations everywhere. It's so great to have her and to be able to take her out into the county to really celebrate our history, study it, and, and to continue this conversation. And thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you do at the Jefferson for moving moving our community forward. It's This is so important, and it didn't exist always, right? It, didn't, it wasn't always a part of what we could could do you no, know we, we opened our doors in 2008 and we've been uh, excited to help serve the community ever since joel thank you for all you do here at the radio show helping get the word out a tremendous show love your listeners so glad this is a part of erie now a great thing for erie to have
We're glad to have with us Phil Kerner again. He is the tool and die guy. Excellent job with uh, the name. I have to I have to like work on that no, over you, and over you got again. Got it. Just don't try to say it too many times. <laughs> exactly. And and Phil, we're, we're talking about Erie history, mm-hmm. Erie present and Erie's future mm-hmm. as a manufacturing entity and um, of course uh, uh, what a, what an amazing uh, hour with uh, Dr. Judy Lynch. Well, and, a couple things. Um, yeah, go. I have to say, uh, you know, I was on about a month ago, and yep. then Heidi was on uh, last week, mm-hmm. and now I'm on here today. So this is all part of our plan to take over. <laughs> okay, is Talk it? It is, it's, it's a bloodless coup. And when, <laughs> and when we take over, though, I will say we won't carry you out in your chair and put you in the parking lot. So that, <laughs> there's that. On the other hand, I will say uh, thank you so much for having me on after yeah. the Human Encyclopedia. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Carson, Edric Mann would never do that <laughs> to Johnny Carson. That's that exactly was, right. There was a lot of information there. She could have gone probably for three hours easily. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we we blew through whole decades mm-hmm. here. Um, and, um, it, you know, it's what's what's really interesting is is the I, I have such um, uh, I admire so much our forefathers mm-hmm. in in the ability to take on risk. You think about an auto baron, you think about the Ernst Baron, you know, and their ability to take a, a technique that they learned in Germany and bring it here, you know, where there was a, a land of, uh, of wood and to build, uh, you know, the best papers in the world. I mm-hmm. mean, Hammer Mill at one point was best in class. It was. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, um, and it, just, it just, but there has to be will. There has to be... Uh, grit and determination to do that and you experience that in you know in uh in the tool and die business mm-hmm. because again you get one wrong i mean you you've blown thousands of dollars worth of work if a mold goes bad on you or if it just doesn't come together there's just there's just tenacity and grit that comes through this it it's um not everybody has that, Phil. Well, here's the deal with manufacturing. You know, anybody goes out there tomorrow and starts a business, whether it's a, a radio station uh, or, um, you know, donut shop, whatever, there's capital investment. Sure. Now you're going to go into manufacturing. Mm. And let's, now we're going to put that, uh, you know, on steroids. And now you take a plant like GE or Hammer Mill or Steris, and, and, and now we're looking at, you know, especially if you're going to build trains, you've eliminated 98% of your competition right off the bat, right? right? Because of the capital investment. Um, you know, the only person that the, the company I thought that could compete with General Electric several years ago when they were trying to come out with the uh, Tier 4 engine was Caterpillar. Because Caterpillar mm-hmm. can make big stuff, right? Right, yeah. And, th- and those are like the only two players, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you think about these GE locomotives being shipped all over the world. How expensive is it to move trains across, you know, on a freighter? And they do it, right? And, and what, what people don't remember oftentimes is that GE was the number two. They, they went after General Motors and became the number mm-hmm. one and just left GM in its, in its mm-hmm. dust, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I mean, it was a competitive situation of, of which, who, whose locomotives would be the, you know, the nameplate of American railroads, you and, know? And they certainly did fill that bill for many years. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see with the developments yeah. over there now. I'm uh, hopeful for a, a good outcome. You know? Everybody everybody wants to, you know, give each side uh, their honor and due. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. You know, you've got a 100-year-old company over there, over 100 years old, and now you've got the... the new, this new stepfather in the mm-hmm. house. Yeah. And uh, there's going to be some pain on both ends of that deal, I'm afraid. And uh, But that's a compromise, right? Let, let's roll back then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
you know, plastics was was became famous what with the graduate. I have one word for you, plastics. Uh, I mean, yep. uh, mm-hmm. but uh, this whole concept of of tool making, how old is that? Well, let's think about this. Um, I know we're on the radio, but I did bring a few uh, good some pieces, notes. Some notes yeah, here. So too. I finally, it's an amazing uh, mm-hmm. the historian I am. I finally jumped on Ancestry.com. Okay. And I'm a cheapskate, so I took the uh, 14-day free trial first, right? <laughs> so I, I was able to look up, and I already always knew this, but it was really beautiful to see this in print. Um, this is the uh, 14th census of the United States population, 1920. Okay. So there's the Kerner family right there. It's highlighted. Yeah. But if you read the yellow line, that's Edward Kerner. That was my grandfather. Read all the way over to here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's it say he did? Can you see that? Uh oh yeah, toolmaker. Toolmaker, nineteen twenty. All wow, right, he was thirty-one yeah. years wow. old. Wow. Now he would go on. To, uh, they had a little house on Cochrane Street, uh, down uh, down by the Erie Cemetery, and he had three sons. His uh, oldest son was Ronald. Uh, the next one was Edward, and the youngest one was uh, Fred. Okay. Fritz. 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 Fritz was my father. Fritz was your dad. Okay. Well, my uncle Ronald started R.M. Kerner Company. Now, he was much more into the machining end, and then Edward would start the Kerner Tool and Die Company, all right? And then my father, when he came out of World War II, he was the general manager at the Kerner Tool and Die Company. But all three of those boys learned the trade in the basement of that house on Cocker oh, Street. Wow. Yeah, yeah, granddad had some machines down there. And they all excelled at it, you know? I mean, it was amazing. Uh, the you know, RM uh, Kerner Company's still in business. I mean, when I apprenticed there, I didn't apprentice, but I worked there in co-op in high school. Uh-huh. They had 600 people there back then. Oh my gosh. Yes. And they're so, big- I mean, it, it, you, you talk about the, the, the tool making tools mm-hmm. in your, in your granddad's basement. Um, what, what are we talking about? Bench, uh, uh, a drill press. What, what is the essentials, well, the, the basics? Back then, uh, the, the, the term uh, tool maker and pattern maker were kind of interchanged. Okay. And, um, you know, molds and dyes, uh, anything you're going to pour something molten into is the easiest way to think about it. Yeah. So that would be, a, uh, you would need a pattern. If you were to picture something like you see an old blender, the Art Deco curves mm-hmm. and all cast iron sometimes they were, or uh, and when they went into die casting. But as soon as you were going to build something that needed two halves to open yeah. and shut to produce a male and female half of that part... Now you've got a, a, a tool, a, a mold, or or they can be called dyes also. Yeah. But then that gets a little more confusing too, because most people think of dyes as something that just goes up and down and stamps out widgets. Okay, okay? sure. So anyways, my family kind of gravitated towards the injection molds and the die casting dyes. So two halves. There's okay. always two halves. <clears throat> so uh, my Uncle Ed, uh, he made his fortune off of uh, the Parker White Metal Company, which is now PHB Industries. Still there. But uh, that was the, he was best friends with those guys, Dick Parker and uh, Bob Parker, uh, and uh, um, they they built the business together. And uh, you know, it's I, I'm such a believer in manufacturing. Right, does so much good for a community, uh, the wealth it creates in a community. When you've got forty or fifty guys that are all making great money as a toolmaker back then, right? And then the overtime. All right. And then, of course, the shop's making great money. And then you've got uh, my uncle building Gospel Hill Golf Course. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. When I used to go up to my uncle's house as a kid, it was like going to Disney World. <laughs> golf carts everywhere. My uncle, was, he acted like Dean Martin. You know, he always had a cocktail in his hand. And I'd say, hey, Uncle Eddie, can I take one of the golf carts? Yeah, just stay off the street. So I'd go flying down number two at Gospel oh, Hill, seven gosh. years old, two yeah. German shepherds chasing me. Right. And then we'd always go over to the shop. 
because they had a soda machine over there. Mm -hmm. And to this day, you know, when I walk into a, a mold shop, they have a certain smell because of the, the, the electrical discharge machines they use. Uh, takes me right there. You wow. can always, I can yeah. tell when I walk into a machine shop, and I can tell when I walk into a tool and die shop. You blindfold me, I would never miss it once. <laughs> I can tell. It's, it's, you know, it's just in my DNA. Yeah, it, it's funny. Um, when I'm driving down 12th Street, I'll I'll start smelling like that electrical mm -hmm. smell. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, uh, uh, something's burning under the hood. And then I, you know, I'm driving another two blocks down, and it goes away. It's mm -hmm. like you got to remember what were they doing in that building back? What there? are they doing in that building back exactly. there? This stuff is happening still on 12th Street. So when we go to the legacy, um, uh, of a, I, this is just my family, and I'm sure a yeah. lot of people have stories like this. This is a picture that I pulled from a brochure. I, I have gifts for you today, too. Oh, good. Wonderful. I know. Isn't it amazing at our age? We still get excited when somebody says you're going to get a <laughs> gift. So I've got, I've got uh, two nice gifts for you today. But anyways, this is a picture taking out, uh, taken out of a brochure of uh, the Kerner Tool and Die Company from 1958. And there's a lot of significance here. I'll try to read this upside down and quickly because, again, I know we're on the radio. Yeah. But the guy in the back, that's my dad. That's Fritz. Fritz. So okay. he's in charge of this Motley crew here, right? Uh -huh. So listen to this. This is Amos Newman. Amos Newman went on to start Tetra Tool Company. Yeah. When I finished my apprenticeship at Anson Tools, I worked for Amos. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, this guy, Joe Duska, uh, started Engineered Plastics. Okay. Wow. Uh, Kurt, uh, this is Lester Waldemarson. When I started my shop, I hired his son as my foreman. Okay. Wow. Gets better. Now... This guy's name was Sam Schember. I don't know if he's any relation to the mayor, but he taught this guy, Dick Forbes, how to run a machine called a Deckel. When I went to work for Amos, guess who taught me how to run a Deckel? Dick Forbes. Dick Forbes. When I started my shop, I hired Dick Forbes' kid. <laughs> All right, so there's four generations wow. right there. And finally, the, the fun picture, that is Bill Hilbert. Bill Hilbert from Red Duck. Wow. Pre president PhD. of PHB Industries. He, he was wow. an apprentice under my dad. So... Wow. Yes, sir. So, yeah, so, you, you have royalty here. I do, in, that family. In, in, and I always like to tease the Hilberts, and I love I'm, the Hilberts and what they've done for the- I'm going to show it to the yes. Facebook Live crew here. What, but what the, uh, what the Hilberts We're, have done for the city is amazing, and that, but I always like to t tease them that uh, before they were Hilberts, they were the Kerners. So. We're talking to- um, <laughs> We're talking to Phil Kerner uh, about uh, Erie as a man, as a maker city. Uh, what what about this concept of um, you know? Uh, yeah, we did do some things uh, in our history with raw materials, but mostly we really have made high end stuff. I mean, talk about some of the products, uh, even in the plastics mm -hmm. industry. Some of the some of the things that you would create. Well, it's interesting. If you're involved in the injection mold business in Erie, building injection molds, Tolan and I making injection molds. They kind of go, for the most part, two different types of shops. Yeah. You have shops that do very high-end precision work, and you'll usually find the uh, computer work. Uh, the, the, you would not like believe- Like the one one-thousandth of a tolerance. No, it's or... even worse than that. It's one one-millionth. Okay, because oh, wow. uh, when, you, when you're going to stack up, and if you were to look at the plugs in the back of your monitor and your computer, yeah. you look at those 26 pins there, okay? Well, you should see the expense they put into a mold to build those. They got to be perfect. Yeah. And then you're stacking up. Every one of those things is a separate insert. And then you have to, they have to be perfect because if you stack them up there's a, and they're not right, there's a gap. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So that, there's that end, which is very high end. And, and uh, a place like Triangle Tool, even, I'll, I'll name names, you know, a Plastech, yeah. they do some very accurate stuff. Then there's the stuff like the die casting dies. Uh, they're a little, uh, the tolerance isn't quite there, but it's a whole different type of work too. Yeah. So, uh, and then of course, uh, I was into the toy work. Okay. That's right. You did the toys. Yes. Stuff. And I did some other stuff, but I never did what we called those places that did the high end stuff, sliver shops, because they had made the little uh, slivers. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And different, I mean, we all use the same equipment, 
but their tolerances were just much, much higher and they got paid a lot more for their stuff. Sure, okay. Sure. So um, even those guys, you know, it's been tough. I mean, I'm glad there's a few left in mm-hmm. town, but, uh, but the toy guys, uh, we got beat. I mean, you know, they just, that, that yeah. was just it. And um, that was a lot of fun building the toy molds. I mean, it was fun to go into Toys R Us and see some of the products you made. I was going to say now, um, what era was this, Phil? I mean, are we talking March toys? No, no. Um, I started my Kerner Toll and Die. Uh, the original Kerner Toll and Die, my uncle and my father both died in 1969. Okay. My aunt sold it in uh, 1972 and burned to the ground in 1974. Oh, wow. uh, it's amazing. The uh, Up at Gospel Hill Golf Course, which is mm-hmm. now done. But uh, if you go to Google Earth, the foundation and the floors are still up there wow. for Kerner Toll and Die Company on yeah. Reese Road. So um, I always wanted to restart the family business. And I don't know what put that in me. It was just a desire for me. So I started Kerner Tool and Die, the second one, in 1991. Okay. And back then, the hot company around here was Little Tykes Toys Company. Of course. Yeah, Buffalo, mm-hmm. right? No, actually, they were located in Hudson, Ohio. And oh, okay. for whatever reason, the Little Tykes Hudson. Toy Company fell in love. Fisher, didn't Fisher Price go up in Buffalo? I'm yes. Not. Okay, yes. that's when I was mm-hmm. I think Tonawanda, maybe yeah, even Fisher right. Price. Yeah. But, um, um, so Hudson, Ohio, Little Tykes. But they fell in love with Erie, Pennsylvania's molding capabilities. I bet. And with the molding comes molds that need repaired. So they wear out. They need tuned up. Well, we don't want to ship them all the way back to Hudson, mm-hmm. so you find local tool shops. So, hey, by the way, can we quote this work for you? I mean, or can you uh, okay. and off it went. So there was a couple shops that we did really well with Little Tykes for many, many years. And, of course, Rubbermaid owned Little Tykes. Okay. And then eventually Newell Auto, uh, Office Products bought out Rubbermaid. Okay. Which was very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's, there's checks coming from, used to say Little Tykes on them. Then they said Rubbermaid on them. <laughs> then they said Newell Office Products on them. Wow. Uh, was a, but uh, in the end, um, the, the, the bane, I think a lot of manufacturers would agree with me. We used to get our work from the engineers. Okay. okay. So an engineer at a, a at a company, they the the company always trusted the engineer because you don't want to skimp on your tooling. Mm-hmm. You want good tooling, so you can just put it in the press and get good parts right, right. off the bat, and for years and years they'll need tuned up, but for years and years. So they always trusted a plant engineer to hand that out. So the engineer would come over with a request for quote, and you'd sit down and look at the drawings of whatever it was, and you'd give him a bid. You have paying him what he wanted: two cavity, four cavity, one cavity, whatever, whatever he wanted. And uh, we'd work out a deal, and he'd give me the PO. By the end of my tenure in business, that was all done by purchasing and uh, no, managers. Purchasing managers, okay. Okay. So and, they were pricing all over the place, and, and it, you know, just to the penny. Yeah, to the penny. Yeah. So all those guys were gone. Now, did did that whole business go to China then? Yes, ninety okay. percent of it. I was yeah, gonna say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that and that that would have been late nineties. Um, it started uh, uh, in about two thousand. It started okay. trickling. Okay. And then, um, because at that time, Fisher Price, who I did a little work with, they all made their engineers spend at least six months in China. They were building plants there in the 90s. They they saw this coming. They were ahead of the curve, Mm -hmm. I guess. Now, this is where I could get a little uh, politically incorrect, but I used to say, you know, you go in and you see a beautiful ad for Fisher Price toys and the kids ride the, uh, the toy, I said, why is that an American kid? Why isn't it a Chinese kid? Because that's where they're building the stuff, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, and I always mm-hmm. say, I think people would be shocked if we had a, a new law in this country that wherever that product came from, you've got to put a flag on the front of the box, of the packaging. Of where it came from. Origin, origin. country of origin. Yeah. And it's got to be 25% of the size of the face of the box. Not on the bottom, <laughs> not on the top. <laughs> give me 15%. <laughs> 
Can you imagine walking into a big box store and seeing nothing but red flags? Wow. I think that would I think that would probably get people's attention. Yeah, we're talking to Phil Kerner. Um, he, he is the tool and die guy and uh, want to make sure that we uh, watch our time because we're. Uh, we I want to I want to find out you want where, your gift. Well, well, that and I I, I, I want to make sure that we understand where um, where we're going with manufacturing, because, um, you know, again, uh, advanced manufacturing seems to be it seems to be where where we can go. Um, you don't. I don't think, for example, uh, even even with amazing companies like Bliley Electric mm-hmm. and and Sunburst and and, mm-hmm. and so on. We're not going to have that kind of manufacturing happen, although there is some green shoots with the whole Internet of Things and what's happening in the innovation corridor. Mm-hmm. What do you, what's, your, what's your take on, like, you know, that electronics and stuff? Um, because uh, we used to have a bit of that here, uh, well, but that seems know, to all be Chinese. Uh, yeah, that's now. why it's remarkable. Um when I was on last time, not that I was remarkable, but the uh, Mark Rosen from yeah. Lords. Yeah, Mark Rose, yeah. Did they still, Rose, just Mark Rose, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what they're doing out there still after yes. all these years. Exactly. And, and, and for whatever reason, they have not lost that market because they're so good at it. Yeah, their R&D is just enormous. And I, one of the things he said that day, which was I thought was phenomenal, uh, because the place I work at, industrial sales and manufacturing, mm-hmm. by the way, I, I do have to always thank them. They they, they get me out early to get up, up here and promote, <laughs> right. the, promote the trade, right? That's right. I appreciate what they do for me there. But um, when we go back to a place like industrial sales, uh, we we take in, we don't have a product per se. Right. So we rely on contracts for people that need things machined, right? We never see stuff from Lord. Okay. I mean, so remember when he said that day, we don't yeah. sub anything out because yeah, they do it a, it's either else. just too hard mm-hmm. or too specialized or it's secret. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think 80% of their business is, is defense. Right. So, right. Yeah. So that's not going to get shopped around. So they've got to run a very tight ship out there, but that shows manufacturing done right can still work. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about that. I know this doesn't quite answer your question, but mm-hmm. when we talk about these companies that we've lost now a lot of them we lost within what three to five years after they get bought out mm-hmm. that right. just always seems they they buy the company to get the sales steris is the one that really breaks your heart it, well and i work with the guy that was in management at steris and that's a long story and yeah. i know a lot about that story well, because that that is an industry that we created right. here in erie pennsylvania american sterilizer we made the best sterilizers Absolutely. in the world we made the best hospital mm-hmm. uh products uh and that whole and, plant Lock, stock, and barrel was moved to Mexico. Yeah. Whole plan. Un- unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So done right, you can still manufacture stuff. I think the, what I would get most excited about if I were a younger guy. Yeah. I've got a, a apprentice that worked for me. My first apprentice ever. And his name is Scott Whitman. And he owns a little shop out in the Northeast, I believe, called uh, South Creek Tool. And he does real well. And he works by himself. Mm. He's got all these machines and in, mm-hmm. in the, the shop's right behind his house. Wow. So he can go out there in his bathrobe at night, change electrodes or change tooling, whatever he needs to do. Now, that is one way that you can compete in manufacturing. Lean and mean. Modern equipment. The day of seeing a tool shop, I know if you were left, but with you know 30 guys cranking away with the handles, it's very romantic. But... Uh, you know that those. You know, I, I hate to use the word automation because right. here's my point. I've never lost. I've and I've been doing this for over forty years. Never one time has a talented individual come up to me and say, "Hey, it was nice working to, with you, Phil, but I, you know, I'm leaving today because I, I my job was done. It's going to be done by a robot." Mm-hmm. 
talented people. There's there's oh, always room. Job. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, but I, the automation has taken away that that kind of that second tier, third tier. Uh, you know that 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 worker that didn't need. Uh, a lot of education. I mean, uh, the automation is or, is taking you, you, that away. Or you could say, yeah, but the automation has given a lot of jobs to people with no talent. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry to be blunt, but I mean, but you 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 can walk into a, even a place like I work at, and mm-hmm. and if you don't want to apply yourself and you just want to show up for work and you know this is yeah. kind of your bag and you just but you can show up for work every day and make decent parts and good parts that pass inspection, they'll you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, uh, but you're not going to make a ton of money, right? If you want to get to the the high end of the trade, you you go to night school. You be, I always tell what I'm teaching. You want to become an asset to your company, correct? Because they don't get rid of assets that make money for the company. Mm-hmm. So that's what I. That's the main thing I try to teach new employees: be an asset. They, they, when times get tough, they don't yeah. get rid of the assets. Yeah, right. We got two minutes left. All right. where, where where is this? Where is this going? Where where what is? Uh... What's our future? Well, maybe we'll discuss that in next month's segment, Joel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, you got one more history? Well, lesson? no, I have your gifts. Oh, my present. Okay, awesome. This is the original. I re- reproduced this uh, okay. brochure from Kerner Tool and Die in 1958. Oh, and I had one copy left. And years ago, I decided to scan it all in. Good for and, you. And, 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 and saved it. So that's a, that's a, I got a map to the shop wow. on the ball. I put actually some notes on the back. Nice. In, inside there's a old fashioned map. I love this stuff. How to get there. And another thing, because I, I ended up with all this stuff because I'm the youngest. I found this uh, ancient piece of uh, a stock certificate from the Kerner Accurate Machine Company. Oh my God. And it was pretty beat up. So I scanned it in and repaired it. And uh, my uncle Ed at Kerner Tool and Die, sometimes when you run a company, you have shadow companies or ghost companies just to allocate yeah. some equipment around. Right. So he started Kerner Accurate Machine Company. I believe my father was actually the vice president. Mm-hmm. This was like 1967. Okay. Well, anyways, I would like to present you with this. Let's see if we got your name on Joel Natale. A hundred shares. A hundred shares of stock in the Kerner awesome. Accurate Machine Company. It's been signed by me as president. Nice. It's dated today. And the treasurer is Heidi, my wife. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so if... If this doesn't get cashed properly when you go to the bank, don't call me. <laughs> call the treasurer there, Heidi, <laughs> Heidi Kerner. <laughs> but that's for you. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Phil Kerner, I tell you what, um, you know, you're so passionate about this. I mean, it really rubs off, you know, as, as far as, you know, um, just having a community that is is all about moving forward and, and is all about doing things with our hands and making something, you know, leaving it a better place. And no matter where we end up with technology, guys like me on the shop floor that bring that history in a little bit mm-hmm. and, and pass that knowledge down, it's still important. I still believe that. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and bringing the young ones along. Yep. God bless you. I really appreciate I, it. I appreciate being on. Again, it was really fun.